Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Clear the Cash. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outrage Jew. And with me again this morning is Jesse Bach. You can find him on Twitter at planet underscore fatness. Jesse, thank you for joining me today. We are recording on the 4th of July. So this is a special day in itself, even more special when Jesse can make it to the show. We had some technical difficulties to, to start this thing off, but cross our fingers. I think it's going to go flawless from here. Um, Nate, you should have, like, well before you asked me to start recording, you should have asked me, is your computer from the Stone Age? Because I would have said yes. I mean, I, I, unfortunately, that probably would have deterred this show from ever happening. But um, but yes, my computer is from the Stone Age. Um, it's it's probably before the shot clock era in basketball. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's well behind its time, but, but enough of, uh, enough of my technology. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of stuff going on in the sports card world right now, um, on my side, uh, of the country, as well as on, on the West coast and, and, and even in the Midwest in terms of the amount of card shows that are going on. Obviously we have the national that's happening, um, about three weeks from now, if not less, um, in Chicago, it's going on from July 28th to, to August. Um, and I just want to give, give a couple of shout outs to some of the, some of the more, um, you know, local ish shows to, or at least to whoever's in the area. Um, one of our own, uh, patrons, um, at, at, uh, Denver card shows, um, is his discord name. Um, I think on, on Instagram, he is at kaboom underscore collector, John Scanlon. Um, he's no G in the hobby. He's a really good dude. I've conversed with him plenty of times. Um, he's actually hosting a 200 plus table card show in Denver, um, on July 9th to the 11th during MLB all-star weekend, which is also in Denver. Um, so that should be a really sick show. I know he's really excited and nervous for it, but I think it's going to be a great show. If I was in Denver at that, uh, during that weekend, I would absolutely go, um, that should be an awesome show. And then um, one show that that I've been kind of interested in going to is the um, Chantilly Card Show in Chantilly, Virginia. It's about like a three-hour drive for me, um, right outside of Washington D.C. Um, I think we actually had a question maybe a week or so ago about like any Virginia or North Carolina shows or something like that. So um, whoever asked that, Chantilly, Virginia. Um, July 9th to the 11th, honestly, besides like, I'm, I'm really excited to see what kind of cards are available there. Obviously it's a card show. Um, but I'm actually going with uh, one of my friends who's not even into cards. Um, but, uh, I'm inviting him because the autograph signing list is probably the best I've ever seen at a public show before. Like some of the guests that are going to sign at this show on Saturday and Sun on that Saturday and Sunday of that weekend, are Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore, Troy Palomalu, Antonio Gibson, T. Higgins, Cortland Sutton, as well as rookies Michael Carter, Diami Brown, and Elijah Moore. Um, I think Rashad Bateman might be there as well. Like it's just it's a crazy it's a crazy autograph list. Like there's also all time greats that are going to be there as well. So um, if you guys are are in the area for around either Denver or like the DC area or something. Um, it's, you know, I, I don't know, just it hit me up with either your experience if you're going to Denver and obviously hit up John Scanlon um, or hit me up if you're going to the, to the show right, right outside of Washington, DC. Damn. That's a lot of names. I've never been to a show that had that many big names at it, especially some of these young guys You get a T Higgins auto. It'd be a nice little pickup. Um, 
I know you're going to go to these card shows. We had talked about meeting up at one. I'm thinking probably in 2022, it'd be more likely that you and I'll link up. But guys, hit Jesse up if you want to rub shoulders, bump into this guy in person, uh, show him your collection and, and eat up all of his free time. I'm sure he's willing to listen. Jesse's just such a nice guy. So it's cool to hear that that all these shows are going in many places. I know, at least here in the Pacific Northwest, everything is pretty much open again. So I know that we're going to see a lot of stuff really start taking off. And sort of now we're going to have this cross-sectional area of everything's open back up. Sports cards are still at this this peak and there's an intensity of purchasing and stuff. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the two intertwine as travel opens back up amongst other things. So um, hopefully one day in the future, Jesse, you and I can converge at a card show. Uh, really, bets should be taken right now. We should start a website. Who am I going to meet first, you or Matt Kelly? <laughs> because I've been podcasting with Matt Kelly for almost six years. We've never met. You and I have been doing a show for, what, seven, eight months. Uh, obviously, we haven't met yet. But I'm almost feeling like the probability that I'm going to run into you first is starting to seem more likely, although I believe Matt and I are going to be at the Senior Bowl together, so who knows if that actually takes place, Jesse. But as you've stated, this I, is going to be a big I was going to say, I, you know, I might even be, who knows, if Matt, I know Matt's been talking about cards on Sonic Truth here and there, but he probably mentions one card or a card-related topic uh, a week. So who knows? Maybe if he if he gets really into cards, maybe I can be that bridge to kind of get you guys together in person sooner. Maybe you guys can meet up together at a card show one of these days. There's a, a possibility as long as Matt doesn't buy another Travis Fulgham card. No more, no more cards of players that are not going to make it in the league. Listen, again, as I've said on all the podcasts, Sell Travis Fulgham. I, I, okay, uh, admittedly, he did become sort of a buy low because he could be the wide receiver three now. So there might be this opportunity for a little value pop. But the reality is we saw enough to validate the fact that he is not going to be some long-term fantasy producer. I put everything on it. I put all my Ken Griffey rookies on that <laughs> statement. So if anybody wants to make a bet. All right, Jesse. Uh, there was also a, a, a big bet or gamble, if you will, made uh, in the world of acquisition just recently. And I wasn't even aware of this. This didn't make front page news necessarily, but you can certainly find it all over the Internet. Golden Auctions, one of the biggest, if not the biggest auction house in the world, was recently purchased. Is that true? Yeah, so you can um, – there are plenty of collectors and even companies that flex on Instagram with – um, either cards that they just acquired or cards that for, like from a grading company, a big card that they graded. Um, I know BGS went really big with that whole, remember that $4 million Luca? Um, that was, that was a really big deal for BGS. Um, but no flex can meet, can meet the flex that collectors holdings, which is the group that owns PSA and is partially headed by Nat Turner, obviously the, the owner of PSA. Um, that company bought uh, Golden on the same day that PSA kind of sort of opened back up uh, its doors to the to the public who's looking to submit their cards to them. Um, this is this is a really big deal, and to to be honest, um, I'm trying to think of the rationale that PSA has behind opening up an auction house or. A, acquiring the rights to a, a really big auction house like Golden. I mean, they, they have nothing to lose here, obviously. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there was there was a lot of money involved in a type of deal like this, like a, like a stupid amount of money. Um, well, PSA is kind of swimming in it right now, especially with like with the backlog and everything and um, and the amount of subscribers that they have uh, to their to their grading submission program. So it, it probably wasn't even that that hard of a decision for them. Um, Nat, it, on the last couple of shows that he's uh, appeared on, he's been kind of hinting at something big that that's that's about to take place. Um, he he was he was kind of purpose purposefully vague about it. Um, 
So uh, I guess he just didn't want to, you know, let out too much information about any like dollars and cents or just like the transaction altogether. This might have been it. This might have been what he's talking about. Um, the implications of this are they're kind of uh, it's. I mean, it's still it's still a gray area. So with with Golden, you definitely the the potential conflict of interest. And I think I think Ken Golden has been doing a really good job of talking about this publicly ever since ever since uh, the deal was announced. That um, he's obviously not going to give like preferential treatment towards PSA slabs or anything, or or he's not going to market PSA slabs heavier than BGS and SGC slabs. He already came out and said he's still gonna. Still going to include PSA, BGS, and SGC slabs in all in all of their auctions coming up, as long as you know all of those slabs are submitted. He's not going to give preferential treatment towards one or the other. Um, so with with I mean for Ken Golden, I think it was it was kind of a no brainer move for him. Like in the long run, he said he he didn't receive any money through this transaction, and I believe him. Like Ken, I think Ken is probably one of the most real dudes in the hobby. Um, definitely an OG who's been in the card hobby for 40 plus years. Um, but I think this is him, him kind of taking part in this, in this transaction, um, is him placing a bet on his own company and also on PSA and the hobby altogether <clears throat> that things will only continue to go up from here. And for, for the long run, I think they certainly will. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Like I, the, some of what, what I'm wondering about of what, of how PSA can use this to their advantage. And I'm not sure if they will, but I can certainly see this happen one day is as soon as you get, all right. So let's say you put in a 20 card submission whenever their, whenever their economy, uh, submission program opens back up or some cheaper program opens back up. Um, you take a look at all your grades online You before they're even shipped to you. So you want to see your grades, right? There is a chance that you might even be able to send them straight to Golden to be auctioned, especially if it's a more valuable card. So PSA will take care of everything for you. They'll ship it directly to Golden in Jersey, and Golden will take care of the rest. And then um, you can, like, if it, especially if it's a more valuable card and you think it's going to go for tens of thousands of dollars, they might not even charge you for the whole grading process until after the after it sells. Um, the, but that I mean that's kind of a whole conversation on its own. But that's just kind of that's kind of one of the directions that I'm seeing where this this type of acquisition could lead to um, at some point down the road. And like I said, PSA has nothing to lose. Like we're seeing all time highs being set with every single golden auction. Like it's it takes card. It, it, especially with these auctions being so big at Golden, it takes Card Ladder, which I think is it honestly might be the best team out there in terms of price tracking and doing it accurately. It takes them days to be able to actually go through every single one of these auctions, and and every single time they pick out all time highs that are set left and right with through Golden. So I think I think honestly it's a win win here. Um, uh, again, with the whole conflict of interest thing, I, I hope they're they're both genuine, both Nat and and uh, Ken Golden, and I, I hope they're being both fully transparent. And I think they are, um, but this is you know this is just PSA kind of flexing on everybody with you know what they're able to do right now, and just like who the hell ever thought that a grading company could could or would ever think about buying a huge auction house. Uh, they're just trying to apparently diversify their ownership in this, you know, long-term market. But a couple facts about that that a lot of these articles have documented. One, the amount of the sale is undisclosed at this point. Nobody actually knows what it was in totality. But in February, uh, the churning group and Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, and Dwayne Wade all pumped looks like forty million dollars of what they call growth financing into golden auctions. So we know at minimum, like at a baseline using that number, we know that this must have been a substantial number. And lastly, it talks about the press release stated that Ken Golden signed a multi-year deal to remain the head of Golden Auctions. So he will at least remain the influencer, you know, the main personality. And 
it probably won't lose any of the direction that it was headed. I mean, you seem to be a major fan of Nat Turner, what his beliefs are, who he is as a collector and a person. So necessarily, I think that influence is probably not going to bleed over and try and sway Ken Golden at all. I think you're going to get the same product with a substantial backer. And I love your idea of what could possibly happen, sort of the world of, okay, we're not going to prioritize PSA on golden auctions, but if you grade with PSA, who now owns this, you can funnel it through this path and make its way back over here. There's a lot of different routes to get over there. So this is pretty big time and kind of like cryptocurrency in a way. There's a lot of people that are wishy-washy on whether crypto is this long-term thing or isn't. Clearly at this point, it's sustaining long enough to prove that it's a valid currency in the world. But every time a big company makes a major purchase and adopts it as a part of, you know, their holdings or, you know, uh, something in their in their catalog of inventory, people go, wow, look at this big company jumping in. It adds validity. It adds power to it, longevity. It, it gives us confidence. So when you see this happen, and you look at this card market and auction house, it just feels like this this isn't going away anytime soon, irrespective of whether the travel industry jumps back off and people aren't stuck at home. I think that the long term is is even safer now when you see these big time people continue to just you know get their hands involved on what's going on out there. I know I know Ken Golden signed a multi year deal, or I, he didn't disclose how long he sold it. He signed the deal for to to remain. The, the head executive at um at Golden, but um I I mean he's he's in this for the long run. Like he's already come out and said that um he wants like his his ultimate goal is to pass down this company to his like seven or eight year old son Paul. Um, it's like he's he's that he's that entrenched into continuing, you know, like like passing on the golden like keeping the golden auctions like with it in the under the golden name um so i i think pretty much anybody who's involved in this deal isn't is very clearly in it for the long run um and i think it'll obviously only help both parties i think it helps that his last name is golden too right if he had Giannis's last name or had some other funky last name yeah gold I mean, gold is in the name. It's, like, gold is my favorite parallel. Like, yeah. it's, it's a lot of people's favorite parallel. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 one of the most valuable, uh, you know, precious metals on the planet. It's uh, for whatever reason, it worked out flawlessly. Any number of last names, this never happens. But because it's golden, very clearly, that's as, that's why we have the eruption and explosive nature uh, to this market that we have. Holy smokes, Jesse! I'm wearing the LeBron shirt today. Again, I, I walk around. I cry for LeBron every day. Um, yeah, I do too. Yeah, we both do. We're huge truthers. Very sad. Lakers will come back stronger next year, we hope. But the NBA Finals is set. And I can't remember if this statistic is accurate or not. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter. But I believe this year was the first time in 10 years that we haven't had a LeBron or Steph Curry final. I think that's a true statement. I believe it's a true statement. Uh, uh, I think the, the Kawhi, wait, who, who did, uh, who did the Raptors play that year? I can't even remember. Oh, that was out of the who East. came out of the West. Ooh, then it wouldn't have been Curry. Cause I don't think they beat the Warriors. Uh, all right. Nobody quick, can remember this. Why are we doing this live on yeah, the show? Why? I know. I know. You know, this is this what is happens. Gonna, this is going to bother me so when much. When I try and I, go I need to do a quick Google search. off the cuff. This is what happens. Well, I'm trying to think of the West. Like, who would have possibly come out of the West that was any good if it wasn't them? All right. It was... It was... I'm going to feel awful when you say this. I'm going to... Oh, you're right. You're right. It was the Warriors. Okay, the so... Warriors, okay. The Warriors swept the Blazers in the Western Conference Finals that year, <laughs> and the Raptors beat the Bucks. Sorry. The, the Blazers have had more brooms taken to them. Listen, I... So... Okay, so I think the statement is true. I, I believe that's a factual statement. So we see this more often in baseball, usually, than we do in the other sport. We're sort of this unexpected team, whether it's the Royals, whether it's the Rockies, whether it's the whomever sort of makes their way through the playoffs and ends up playing in the World Series. It's very different over a major part of my life and your life to see two teams like the Suns and the Bucks. Squaring off, I had a buddy who was super pissed off that he lost a bet to me. He took Atlanta, I took the Bucks. 
he owes me something. And he goes, yeah, well, this is going to be the lowest viewership of any NBA finals of all time. I mean, do you believe that statement? Because I actually don't. No, because um, not necessarily because I Mark Cuban put out a stat uh, like a week or two ago saying that the that the viewership numbers throughout these NBA playoffs has actually been I got to look at it again, but I think it's been the, maybe the highest ever. Um, so if, if anything, it, it actually, it might be closer to the other way around. Um, just because I, I love LeBron, you love, you love LeBron. A lot of people out there love LeBron. Um, but a lot of people don't like LeBron. So, um, and a lot of people hate the Warriors now. Like there, I just know there are sports fans out there. They just want change. They, they don't want a team like the Warriors or, the Patriots or Nate, I'm sorry to say the Seahawks, maybe like five years ago. Um, there were, I I'm, I'm just hearing my, my point of view from like, from what other sports fans have been telling me, there's just people that want change like year over year. So if anything, there's probably going to be a lot of people that are going to be really excited to see. I mean, very likely a lot of people are going to be rooting for Chris Paul to win his first title. Um, everybody roots for Chris Paul. I like Chris Paul too, but, um, yeah, I, I if anything, it might be closer to the most watched uh, NBA Finals than the least watched. Uh, I mean, when you when you look at the way that these finals have broken down, I, I'm I have loved the playoffs. I mean, you're getting Game Sevens. Uh, you know, the the, the Trey Young injury really changed stuff. Obviously, the Giannis injury, but. Chris Middleton, I know that people don't want this to turn into like this NBA breakdown show, but Chris Middleton, holy shit, this guy is carrying the Bucks. I mean, he is legit superstar status at this point. I mean, he has been playing out of his mind. He, uh, I'm not sure if he'll ever become the superstar of a team, but he can at least, he could carry the team on his back pretty damn well. And I mean, Brooke Lopez kind of did that in game, what was it, game five, the game before. So, I mean, they, they, they have members of their team where, although they can be kind of streaky shooting threes, um, when they're, when they're on, they're on like they're, they just, they don't miss. Um, and I, I was watching the game last night. What, uh, Chris Middleton, did he like, what did he miss? Like one shot, one, like one field goal in the third quarter. He, it was just, it was an insane quarter from him. Um, so he's, people have been thinking about him for years as a really good number three. Like the Sixers kind of have that in, in somebody like a Tobias Harris, where I think Tobias Harris is an excellent number three, but I feel like after this last series, Chris Middleton is kind of establishing himself as a very good number two to even like a, like a, like a one B fill in for really any franchise out there. So he's really helping himself. I wish he was more collectible in the sports card hobby. Um, his, his prices are like, dude, his prices are so damn tame. And I'm not here to pump up Chris Middleton cards at all. I don't own any whatsoever. I don't think I will um, at any point. But his his um, his rookie card is from the 2012 Prism class. And obviously, like, that's just, that's a class that I think, in my opinion, uh any 2012 prism is going to be worth money down the road. I don't know if it'll be quite as big as an 86 Fleer, but it's going to be, I think it'll be close at some point, maybe like 20, 30, 50 years from now. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, his card is, his rookie card is from 2012. Um, prism was the first, like the first major card that was produced for him. Obviously that card is like 250 to $275 in a base PSA 10. Um, so he's super affordable if you're, if, if you're ever looking to collect Chris Middleton. Um, but yeah, that dude is, is really showing that he can, he can step it up when, when there's a superstar on his team that's down. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, and again, this is a guy that was what a second round pick. So you don't, you don't see this often. Um, a, a guy like this ascending to this level, but What's interesting, I was thinking about this. So, do you think at this point the Hawks would rather have Trey Young or Luka Doncic? Who would they rather have now? Because they had Luka Doncic. Um, I don't know what the Hawks would rather do. I mean, I think they're they they're gonna say they're content with Trey Young um, because he led them to to the point that they're at now. I I just think honestly the Hawks just kind of they got hot at the right time. Also, the Sixers fell apart in in the series against them. So. Um, 
but they, the Hawks, they're they're deeper than a lot of people think. Like if whoever, like if you ever need a clutch shot from anybody, like they have a bu- a bunch of guys on that team that'll just hit a clutch three for you. Like we we saw from Cam Reddish played out of his goddamn mind last night. Um, they also have uh, Gallinari. Gallinari can he could he could put up like a sneaky twenty five to close to thirty point game on any given night too. Um, when he's hot, he's hot. Kevin Herter. Mert destroyed the Sixers in the last three games of that series. Um, he was a monster. Um, yeah, there and there's there's plenty of there's plenty of other players outside of Trey Young that are going to do damage um, to your to, to your team. I mean, I, Trey is kind of he might be the fire that kind of like lights the you know un, like that kind of lights the team up. Um, in terms of I, I would still probably rather take Luca just because I feel like his game is a little bit more complete, um, and uh, I, I think he's I think he's a better shooter than Trey. People people say Trey's an unbelievable three point shooter, but in terms of like statistically this past season, he was like he was good. He wasn't he wasn't you know as great as people were saying he was, um, but I I think Luca Luca has a a little bit more of a complete game, um, and it's. What's crazy with Luca is that I don't think it it really it it's it really takes that much effort for him to put up a forty point triple double. And I don't know if I've mentioned this on on a previous show. I like I don't think I have. Um, a f- Do you realize how hard a forty point triple double is? Like you're you're accounting for at, for at least a third of your team's points, and you're contributing to you're you are contributing to so many of your team's points. It's not even funny single-handedly and i think i think luca can do that plenty like multiple times in a season with and it doesn't even take that much effort from his part so for me personally i'd still rather have luca atlanta's probably going to say they'd rather have trey they made the right move whatever um but yeah that's that's just me i'm i'm more or less more of a luca stan and also trey is trey's kind of an asshole so um (laughs) so i yeah (laughs) Jeez. Well, I mean, you know, you know the risk of a draft night trade, and a lot of people may or may not know that these two guys were on different teams when they were drafted in 2018. And yeah, you've seen it with some quarterbacks over the years. And you think about the hits or the failures that come out of NBA drafts, like the risk of saying, "Okay, I'm going to swap player X for player Y." and hope that you end up with two superstars. I mean, like two, like no doubt superstars in the league for all the other teams that have drafted or, you know, made bold moves and ended up with absolute, you know, ashes in their hands after the whole thing went down. For this to go down the way it did is pretty impressive because these guys are young, elite, franchise players. We're going to watch them play for the next 10 years plus and be two dominant players in the league. But one other thing I wanted to say about Middleton, because I've seen this take place in a lot of other sports, when you get on the biggest stage and you perform the way he is performing, sometimes you take this this jump. You make this leap in sort of your skill set and your confidence, and you never really go back to being that middling player. Some guys do, but a lot of guys, that when they're called upon finally, especially with Giannis being sidelined, him putting it on his back, I mean... He looks so smooth out there. Like, he's scoring at will at times, being a facilitator. It's going to be interesting to see what the Bucs look like next year with him in this more confident role, especially if they win the NBA Finals, which leads me to my question to you. You got the Suns, Chris Paul. Everybody wants to see Chris Paul win a title finally. I think a lot of people hated Chris Paul, you know, kind of like Tiger Woods. A lot of people got sick of Tiger Woods. He fell off the map forever, came back, Wins the Masters, everybody wants him to win at that point. Are we at the point in Chris Paul's career where finally we definitely want him to win? And if you had to pick who's going to win this series, who's it going to be? Um, Giannis has to be at least like 90% back to full strength, I think, in order for for the Bucks to really put put like a like a stranglehold on this series. Um I don't. I'm. I can't really see the Suns losing this year. I don't know. Um. They're. I mean. They're kind of deep too. Like they. All these. All the teams that basically made it to the point, like to uh, the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, like they were all insanely deep teams. Um. 
Like even I, you couldn't even argue that the Clippers were just because Reggie Jackson was just playing out of his mind that series and just this whole playoffs. He he was playing so well. He definitely revitalized his career. Um, but the Suns, they just they have so many weapons. Like even, I mean, I I was a Dario Saric stan like back when he was in Philadelphia. Um, it was sad to see him go when we traded him to to Minnesota and part of like the, the whole Jimmy Butler deal. Um, but if, if Sharich is like your ninth best player on your team, you're doing something right. Like that guy, I think he's pretty underrated um, personally, just seeing what he's done in Philadelphia and seeing him play now um, where he can just, you know, he can, he can make like five threes in a night. No problem. Like that's, that's fine from him. Um, Cameron Johnson is really kind of shining this postseason as well. I'm sure he's probably going to next season. He's going to be like a more collectible guy. I know there was a lot of hype on him in the last year or so in terms of his cards. Um, they've certainly dipped, but I think he's, he's playing pretty damn well. Um, making, and he's making threes left and right. No problem. And, uh, Chris Paul with his his killer mid range jumper probably probably the best in the game maybe Durant rivals it but that's about it um, like he's uh, he's just that deadly with it, it um, unless if Giannis is is close is back to close to full health uh, it's going to be tough to see the Suns lose this series in my opinion I although I'll be pulling for the Bucks but so if you guys are as confident as Jesse is or, or you believe that Giannis is going to play play at full strength. Again, underdog would be the place to put your money where your mouth is, right? They still have their rivals games that you can play or NBA pickums. Obviously we're down to one series left, but in the rivals, you pick which player between the two will have more of a given stat in their game. Uh, some players will be given a line boost indicated by the plus and the number below the picture. These are not available in all States guys use underdog. Go do this. If it's the last bit of NBA left for the year, Use the promo code UNDERWORLD and $25 bonus cash goes to those new players who deposit it. Jesse, let's shift because everybody's like, okay, listen, I love football. I hung with you through basketball. I need some analysis. I'm a card degenerate. PSA is opening back up. Is that true? Are they open back up? Kind of? Kind of, sort of. On the same day that that, uh, Collectors Holdings announced their acquisition of Golden, Golden announced that deal. Um... On July 1st, PSA kept their promise. They said they were going to open other levels of service back uh, besides the the Super Express and walkthrough. Um, They opened up Express, Express grading. So it it won't be quite as as fast as Super Express, but it also won't be quite as expensive either. Um, It's it's $200 a card instead of $300 a card. But that's the only that's the only uh, that's the only service level that that they opened up. So PSA they technically weren't lying, um, but it, it it seems to me that they still have quite a bit left in their backlog before they can even open up. Um, you know, I can't remember whatever option there was that was uh, like one step quicker than economy, but not quite express. Um, so they're not quite at that level yet of, of opening up. Um, and they definitely raised their express pricing. Express like before PSA closed, express grading was hundred and fifty dollars a card, and now it's two hundred two hundred a card. I'm sure more people will be submitting now than they were um, with the Super Express um, three hundred dollar grading when when that was the cheap cheapest option available. But at least I mean they're making some sort of progress, and that's really all we can ask for. Um, I know they. I don't know if we've talked about this. I know PSA is actually going to be on site at the national in Chicago, um, July 28th to August 1st. Uh, so that I, I think they're going to offer, um, in-person grading there. It's probably going to be expensive though. I have no idea. Like people are just speculating on the price right now. If it's going to be like a hundred dollars a card or something, I don't know. The line is going to be probably as like, it'll be the length of Donald E. Stevens convention center. Like it's going to, it's going to be like that big. I'm sure. I don't know if I'm going to, if I'm going to wait in line there um, at the national, but, but yeah, I mean, PSA kept their promise. We can, from this point, we can probably speculate that whatever tiers they open below express will be more expensive. 
So I'm thinking to start, they're probably, it's probably going to be around $100 a card just because they're going to get killed and they know it and every, everybody knows it. People are, people have been holding out. Some people have been holding out this whole time. They're, they haven't been submitting to HGA, even BGS before, even before they shut their doors or SGC, they've been holding out for PSA and, and people have a lot of cards that they want to grade with PSA. So, um, yeah, that's that's just kind of that's 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 my two cents. Um, I'm glad that they at least opened up some level, but uh, I'm not. Uh, I I think they did they did it uh, strategically pretty well, just because they know that they're not going to be inundated all at once when they open back up. Well, this then opens up, no pun intended, a whole nother conversational topic, which was illuminated by the card porn instagram account really good follow lots of information basically they pointed out that in the month of june psa graded seven hundred thirty-six thousand cards so nearly three quarters of a million cards they noted that since they had posted on instagram about this fact that there was a, a multitude of people that were suggesting that we would see a market crash uh, due to this supply of commodity cards, you know, the slabs that have been graded going back into the market and their concern or solution that they're looking for is how to prevent a market crash. So my question to you would be, do you believe that this uh, level of grading, this quantity of grading coming back to these people could potentially cause a market crash in one way or another if everybody lists their cards? And B, off the top of your head, is there any solution for this? Potentially, um, but the, the pop counts, I feel like the pop counts of the more modern uh, basketball players, like like Prism Base, uh, PSA 10 pop counts have already been high for guys like Luca, um, pretty much anybody from the last like two, two classes, not, not including, uh, sorry, not including the 2020 class, just because that's when PSA shut down, shut down their doors. Um, so maybe not as much for like Lamelo Ball or anybody, but um, for Luca, for Trey, for Zion, for Ja, um, for pretty much any other big star from 2018, 19. We can even throw in 17 in there just because that's 2017 was the year where we really started seeing Panini literally start to print money, and they started up uh, printing more and more cards that year. So even for guys like Tatum, De'Aaron Fox. Um, Bam, uh, I mean, Bam Bio for me. Um, those pop counts are already pretty high, so I'm not sure if a couple, if a couple more thousand, um, is going to be that big of a difference for them. Um, we'll probably see more supply temporarily on on eBay, so I'm sure we'll see a temporary price dip. But once people kind of see that basketball's around the corner, come next season. Um, I think I think base will rebound. Um, base is down right now as a whole, but I'm seeing like I'm seeing personally. I kind of mentioned this to you a little bit ago. Um, if you're gonna list like a Sean Kemp Fleer 1990 PSA eight or PSA nine or something, that's gonna that's gonna crash. <laughs> that's probably gonna crash. And all of a sudden, if we see like a hundred of them. At one time, yeah, that might tank the market. Um, so, kind of, uh, if I were, if I were you, if I were getting, like, I, I mean, I am you. I'm, I'm in the process of getting my cards back from PSA right now. So I have to be super selective in terms of what I list and when I list it. Um, I don't really, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of listing something when it's go, when it's on its way down, but you know, what, what can we do? Like a, a lot of the card markets on its way down right now. Um, but like I, I was, I was having this conversation with somebody, um, a while ago and I just kind of in, like going into like my whole selling process altogether. If I see it, all right. So let's say being fully transparent, um, a couple months ago, like around the end of the season, or like maybe right before the Super Bowl, um, I was looking to to sell my Devontae Adams Topps Chrome Refractor PSA 10. It's it's a low pop card. It's like pop 48 or pop 50 or something. Um, but I was already I was already up like a hundred bucks on it or something. Whatever. I just I kind of wanted to move that money towards uh, you know guys I wanted to collect a little bit more. Um, and I think I only saw one on eBay at the time. 
and I was, I was talking to my girlfriend and she's like, when do you know, when is, when is a good time? When is a good time to sell a card like that? Even though, even though you're up. And I said, well, the, uh, you know, there's only like 50 of these cards that exist in this grade. So if I see that there's like 20 of them or 10 or even 10 of them or something on eBay at any given time, especially at auction, um, I'm not going to list my card at the time at, at that time, just because I know that's probably going to tank the price even more when I'm trying to undercut these other sellers. Um, I'd rather list a card when there's only when there's only like a, a not more than a handful um, up at a time on on eBay, and hopefully they're for they're for like stupid expensive prices, like higher than comps, so that that way I can actually list it for what the last sale was, as long as I'm you know still still making a profit, hopefully, on the card. Um, that's probably the time that I'll be looking to list. So um, PSA backlog or not, or uh, PSA return returning a cards to, to people who sub with them or, or not. Um, that's probably how I would sell um, to kind of help avoid, you know, a, a, if not a crash, a serious correction in price for that player's card. Um, so I, I think I think a strategy like that will will definitely help curb uh, price uh, price drops, especially sharp price drops. Um, that's my opinion. I, I think Definitely, a supply can can tank a card's value uh, temporarily if everybody lists it at once. So we kind of have to we have to be a little bit more selective in in what we list and when we list it for the community as a whole. You know, it seems like if all these people that get their bulk grading back submit it to the you know submit it to the market, as you were saying, it does flood the market. You know, limited cards will always be more valuable. But what happens is it becomes a buyer's market versus a seller's market. And there's lots of different ways to look at this. There's a lot of people out there that hate the fact that people are listing for way over comp price because they just want to collect cards or buy cards and they hate paying some exorbitant number because they feel like it's unfair. You can kind of list for whatever you want. And some people don't like that. But at the same time, for us that are trying to make money in the card game, to maybe reinvest that into cards that we want to PC, it's tough to be a seller during this time. So yeah, maybe the case is like you, if you're a smart seller, don't really worry about what the rest of the market is doing. Just identify what's out there, right? And then list when when the, the numbers of options are lower. Because in that case, yeah, you, you are able to list for more and you can compete with the pricing. But if everybody's listing lower and lower and lower and lower, I mean, that's how you sort of work your way to a crash, you sort of unsubstantiate a price at that point. Cause it's like, then how do you go backwards? And you had brought up something to me that was kind of along the lines of purchasing these cards. You had read a, sort of a thought experiment posted by somebody on social media. It's sort of related to this topic in a way. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the co-founders of card ladder, um, Chris underscore, uh, H O J, uh, for house of Jordans, um, on Instagram, he put up a, a poll either earlier this week or last week, and it the poll said, do you find it easier to buy a card when it's on its way up or when it's on its way down? And the results of the poll were actually closer to, they were, they were just about 50-50. I personally voted it's easier to buy a card when it's on its way up because I'm not lying to myself. Um, it's... It's and a lot of people, a lot of Chris's peers and followers, they they even repost they they put his post into a, into their own story and they said, listen, anybody who's saying it's easier to buy a card when it's on its way down is it, they're just lying. Um, for the most part, I, unless if unless if you're um, you have to be a true collector with deep pockets and it's got to be like a LeBron. Um, exquisite RPA out of 99 or out of 75 or out of 23. And it's just, if that thing is going down, okay, maybe you're, you're probably getting some, some far more value in the long run and even in the short run. Um, but that's not going to happen. So, I mean, personally, like it's, it's tough. It, it's smart to buy a card when it's on its way down. I've been doing that myself on, on, even a couple of cards that I've been down on, I've I've been kind of buying some on the way down to at least, you know, I kind of think of one card as a share of a of a stock that I'm holding and kind of trying to lower my dollar cost average 
um, per share or per, per slab. Um, that I've been doing that myself. It doesn't feel great when it continues to go down. Um, so in order for, for you to say, yes, it's easier to buy a card when it's on its way down, um, it's understandable if, if a card all of a sudden that was maybe tens of thousands of dollars gets into your price range. Okay, that's understandable. Um, but it's you have to really not pay attention to price because you know even even though you think you're buying it in your in your price range in in, in a wheelhouse that, that you're comfortable um, spending, um, it might it still might continue to dip. Like it, it, there's a chance that you're you're trying to catch a falling knife, um, and that's that's not the best feeling in in stocks or cards or any any type of any type of uh, asset um, where you're trying to make where you know part of one of your goals is is for whatever you're holding to appreciate in value, um, but yeah, I mean we we kind of we started talking about this this whole poll because you know you were saying that uh, it it really hurts the sellers in terms of them trying to undercut each other with with a huge flood of supply um, for any given card, but I, I mean it kind of it that kind of would hurt the market in. Um, as well and as a buyer you know you don't particularly want to buy something when it drops to 50 percent of the value that you spent it at like the week after you buy it um that's that's not a great feeling no matter what you buy so um i don't know i just thought this was kind of like an in, it was a very interesting thought experiment and i shout out to to chris um from house of jordans uh, from card ladder to, uh, to to put that out there, and it kind of it even made collectors uh, kind of think for themselves, like, oh, what what what's actually easier? Because I'm sure there are there are collectors, there are plenty of collectors who FOMO bought in 2020 and 2021. I I am more than sure of it. So, but you know, we're we're kind of sitting in this space where you know these have to be looked at as an asset class. So. Um, it, it would be it would be preferable if what you spend your hard-earned money on goes up in value, even if you're looking at this as a true collector. Let me give you the literal perfect example. A big part of this audience is a fantasy football audience. Another big segment of it is hardcore card collectors. Let me give you the perfect NFL player to illustrate exactly this topic. It would be like trying to buy Josh Jacobs right now. Where is Josh Jacobs at? A year or two ago, there was this high hopes, young guy coming out of college. There were maybe some questions about the athleticism, but then he had the draft capital and the role. And you look at him now, and he is falling down rankings. He's beyond the running back 20 in in many rankings uh, uh, over the internet for Dynasty. And it's like, he is falling right now. And has he hit the bottom? Do you want to own him? Kenyon Drake is there. We don't know what his role is going to be. It's sort of a scary item. And I look at it like that, like, yeah, buying on the way down is way scarier. I'm not going to give you what you think you deserve for Josh Jacobs because I'm concerned, as you mentioned, what if he goes lower? What if Kenyon Drake is the guy there and Jacobs becomes this sort of third down role? So certainly easier on the way up. But I think what it comes down to on both ends of the spectrum is how much do you trust your own ability to do analysis? How much do you trust your own ability to study a player, study the history of the position, study whatever and go, okay, what I'm seeing from this player historically has happened in the past. This guy has the intangibles to rise above it. This is just a temporary moment in time where this is down and I'm buying versus not knowing anything at all and just blindly going off of faith and interest and popularity and going, oh, this is going to rise. And a guy like Josh Jacobs, he may never come back out of this hole. Like there's a great chance that his workload is subsidized, that those targets never come in, that Kenyon Drake is the guy. And suddenly, what are you, what are you left with? So that's the concern for me. I think Jesse, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for you, you know, personal analysis has to be a huge factor, whether you're buying on the way up, which can be dangerous as well, or buying on the way down, which can lead to losing a lot more money. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you have to you you have to establish your own um, level of what of what your risk level is, honestly, because it, no matter how surefire of an investment or or a trade or, or even like a trade asset in fantasy football, um, you have to be comfortable with what your risk level is. So 
it's it, it is it's scary to to buy something on the way down just because you don't know what the floor is. Nobody knows what the floor is. Nobody. If someone tells you what the floor is, they're they they're probably lying. Um, just because I mean, we have we have. We have a history of of sales data. We have a history of even a, a player's uh, dynasty value in fantasy football, but we don't exactly, you know, nobody's nobody's Nostradamus in terms of ex- exactly telling you what when is the bottom, when is the perfect time to buy, um, and th- there's a there's a pretty decent chance that that's something that you could buy on the way down keeps going down. Um, they, there's plenty of cards out there right now that, you know, they're down 50 plus percent from from their peaks in in the early part of the year, and they, they could still continue to drop. Um, I mean, that, that part's kind of scary, but uh, in the short run, but I, I feel like in the long term, everything will kind of correct to to how it's supposed to be. Um, and yeah, doing a little bit of self-reflection and, and analysis of what you're comfortable doing is is very important it, with every single card you purchase and every player you try to trade for in Dynasty. Jesse, I, I need to do a lot of self-reflection. I, I need to <laughs> I need to look at myself in the mirror and ask how I got here. Um, so Jesse, a lot of PSA news today. Um, Lots of news coming in the future. Uh, hopefully, we can break some big news to the listeners of this audience. Uh, we just broke some really big news to the patron group. I mean, really, 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 really big news to the patron group. Uh, but if you're not a patron, you're never going to know what information was recently released, which is going to alter the future for everybody. Um, what did I learn this episode? I don't, I don't want to touch Josh Jacobs. I'm questioning everything that I said about Chris Middleton. You've you've wavered my confidence in him, Jesse, and the PSA pricing is probably gonna is probably gonna continue to go up at some point in some capacity, even at the lower level. So, all around, lots of info from us today uh, on the Fourth of July. I mean, we're doing holiday episodes. I have to pay Jesse double time today because he came in uh, Jesse's union employee. So he's getting paid double. He might be triple time. I haven't looked at his contract, but Jesse, thanks for coming on again, man. Um, Lots of great stuff heading into next week for us on this show. So we will see you guys next week on clear the cash.